optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I ask you a personal question? Now what is it in a broken time? What if I did the opposite? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I get asked all the time what I would take if I could only take one supplement. The answer is invariably Athletic Greens. I view it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I recommended it, in fact, in the 4-Hour Body. This is more than 10 years ago, and I did not get paid to do so. With approximately 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, you'd be very hard-pressed to find a more nutrient-dense and comprehensive formula on the market. It has multivitamins, multimineral greens complex, probiotics and prebiotics for gut health, an immunity formula, digestive enzymes, adaptogens, and much more. I usually take it once or twice a day just to make sure I've covered my bases if I miss anything I'm not aware of. Of course, I focus on nutrient-dense meals to begin with. That's the basis. But Athletic Greens makes it easy to get a lot of nutrition when whole foods aren't readily available. From travel packets, I always have them in my bag when I'm zipping around. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving my audience a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula, which is a free vitamin D supplement and five free travel packs with your first subscription purchase. Many of us are deficient in vitamin D. I found that true for myself, which is usually produced in our bodies from sun exposure. So adding a vitamin D supplement to your daily routine is a great option for additional immune support. Support your immunity, gut health, and energy by visiting athleticgreens.com slash TFS. You'll receive up to a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your subscription. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash TFS, as in Tim Ferriss show. athleticgreens.com slash TFS. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, my fine feathered friends. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where it is my job each episode to deconstruct world-class performers and tease out the routines, habits, daily rituals, breakfasts, favorite books, whatever it might be that you can emulate, test in your own life. This episode is a role reversal and a very hilarious one at that. Jamie Foxx, is back on the show. This is a round two where he interviewed me for his radio show and we simultaneously recorded for the podcast. It was great fun. We recorded in his studio at his home in Los Angeles. For those of you who didn't hear the first appearance of Jamie on the podcast, it was voted 2015 podcast of the year last year with Product Hunt and others. The title was Jamie Foxx on Workout Routines, Success Habits, and Untold Hollywood Stories. You can check that out at 4hourworkweek.com forward slash Jamie. And for those interested, the second place runner-up for Podcast of the Year was also from The Tim Ferriss Show, and that was Naval Ravikant. If you haven't heard of him, you got to learn all about him. And that is 4hourworkweek.com forward slash Naval, N-A-V-A-L. Few things about this episode. So it's cut up into segments because we were taking commercial breaks for the radio show. There were a number of songs that Jamie comments on 
or refers to indirectly that I couldn't play in this podcast due to copyright reasons. They are from Seu Malemolencia, and uh, one of the hottest voices and faces ever, that is Brazilian Portuguese, Baby Metal, Karate, Federico Aubele, Esta Noche, and then Seven Dust, Splinter. All of these will be linked to in the show notes, so just go to fourhourworkweek.com forward slash podcast for all the show notes on this episode and every other episode. And uh, there are going to be a couple of stories in here for very long-term listeners that you've probably heard some variation of before because people ask me about some of my backstory, etc. There are definitely things you have not heard before, including uh, Jamie's exploration of past lives, and it goes in many different directions. But I think you'll enjoy it, and at the very least, listen to the first few minutes because Jamie is the consummate performer, which is, of course, what you would expect from someone who is an Academy Award-winning actor, Grammy Award-winning musician, and a famous stand-up and improv comedian. He has all the tools in the toolkit. And you can say hi to Jamie on Twitter, at Fox, two Xs. And without further ado, please enjoy this raucous romp through the mind of Jamie Foxx and yours truly. If I told you that Oprah Winfrey is now a white man, <laughs> if I told you that Oprah Winfrey has now become Caucasian, what would you say? I got a chance to meet this man. This man literally changed my life. My young friend, Ricardo, who speaks seven languages, He's a heartthrob. He explained to me about who this guy was. He says, you need to do this guy's podcast. And I was like, really? Because I was such, I'm ancient when it came to the internet, when it came to these things, the social media, I was so far behind. And Ricardo would always say, you got to shake off the dust. You know, it's like my parents when they were trying to figure out a microwave. And he brought this guy into my house. And we did this, uh, this incredible interview. And literally, it was like I had a record out when I left. It was like I had a movie out when I left. I was getting stopped by people of all walks of life and said, Jamie, I don't necessarily like your shit, but what you did on this man's show moved me. Joe Rogan, who I've known from the, from, from the uh, comedy world, Ricardo sends me a clip of Joe Rogan talking about this man. I'm talking about now... 70 million downloads, am I right? 70 million. Some of you guys don't even have 65 likes. And you're constantly, constantly, constantly posting. You need to get it together. Maybe you need his four-hour plan. I'm talking about none other. The Oprah Winfrey of the internet? Ladies and gentlemen, turn the music up. Tim Ferriss is in the building. <laughs> Tim, how you doing, baby? I'm doing fantastic. So thanks, thanks again for having me. Hey, man, I, I love this studio. Good, hey, listen, man, good vibes in this studio. It's great vibes, man. Listen, I, all I can say is that I cannot say enough of of who you are. I was in New York. Lawyers, doctors, all walks of people came up to me and said, "Yo, Jamie, the Tim Ferriss interview like took me over the moon," and I was like, "I, I, I was." I, I, you you know, obviously, Ricardo had told me who you were and all the research can still cannot put into words what how you impact the world. Where do you come from? 
<laughs> what 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 are you doing since 1977? What a, you were born in 87. I was born in 77. Okay. I had time to pick up. I was trying to break in break into electric boogaloo. Little, uh, little cardboard on now, Long, Long now, Island. Now the song now the song we just played is one of Tim's top five songs. What was the name of that song? Uh, that is Male Molentia by a singer named Seu from Brazil. But, wow, and you know what? You made you made the foxhole work too because <laughs> I asked him for his five songs and he didn't give me no iTunes shit. He said get in them crates, get in those crates, and luckily we have a Cuban who's who's putting things together. And before Trump gets in office, you know, we got a few anyway. <laughs> We got a few minutes. <laughs> we'll talk about all that later on. We're here with Tim Ferriss. Tim, where do you come from, man? And and and, and how? What gives you the mindset? Now I've met you. You've re, you've interviewed me, but like now people want to know who you are. Like where do you come from? I was born and raised on Long Island. Wow, rat tail and all. Long Island, Strong Island, Strong Island. Out at the end, and yeah. uh, mom was a physical therapist. Dad a real estate broker local real estate broker, and uh, my parents were very good at encouraging me and my younger brother, yeah. that's the family, yeah. to explore. And they always had, they didn't have much budget for anything other than books. So they, if right. we if we latched onto something, right. they would take us to, say, the remainder table at the bookstore and find these discounted books. Wow. And, remainder table. Yeah. And wow. uh, that is where I think a lot of the experimentation started, mostly because I was very hyperactive as a kid, but I was a runt. I, I was born premature. And wow. so my, my mom got some good word from the other the other ladies, the other moms, that kid wrestling was a good place to exhaust your kid. We, oh, so oh, she okay. threw me into wrestling. And oh. I had no endurance except some lung issues and other issues. So I started getting very good in high school at cutting weight. And that's where yeah. I started really studying the human body and this obsession with self-experimentation took off. Why self-experimentation? What what makes you think that, though? I mean, because this is what I say all the time. It's like people have gifts. You know, everybody's given a gift. But what would make you think self-experimentation and how would that manifest to what it is right now? Or did you foresee that? Well, I think that one of the catalysts was a weakness that turned into a strength. So for cutting weight, I always sweat very easily, which right. meant that I could get dehydrated very easily. Now that was a liability and a problem in so many other sports, but in wrestling, right. if I'm trying to cut down to a lower weight class, it was a huge advantage. I could, wow. I could lose water weight very quickly. Wow. And so I started thinking, well, if, if that's the case, that this weakness can be turned into a strength, where else can I find Achilles heels that I can turn into advantages? Wow. And it just led me to be a bit more analytical than I suppose some of the other kids who were normal and they right. could compete in the normal way. I just couldn't do that. Right. And I also had a very uh, influential coach, wrestling coach, Mr. Buxton, who was, uh, I think, a, a rarity in today's climate, at least. He was a hard ass who, like, cared enough to yeah. really beat your ass. Yeah, that's the old school, Tim. We don't have it no more. You can't touch the kids <laughs> no more. I mean, my father was a, pre was, a, was a teacher for 20 years. He can't touch the kids. He said, I wouldn't be able to... I wouldn't be able to uh, to govern this day. So he whooped your ass, huh? Oh, yeah. I mean, he, we would, uh, you know, I just remember one practice we had uh, these drills. I think they're called blood circles or some of the horrible, <laughs> some some horrible name. Oh, man. And uh, I was like, Mr. Bucks, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it. And he, right. he's, he's, he's not only a successful coach. I yeah. mean, he was a tri-varsity athlete in college right. and uh, exceptional athlete and coach. But he was also very good at teaching. He was a teacher, English teacher, I believe. 
and an incredible fundraiser for the school. So he, he was multi-talented. Now he's the dean of Culver Academy, Military Academy in Indiana. Uh, but I remember at one point I was like, Mr. Bucks, I can't do it anymore. I'm going to puke. And he's mm. like, and he's like, that's what the bucket over there is for. Wow. So go over there and puke and then come back and if continue it, the drilling. Wow. <laughs> and what, what uh, was great about that environment, although I didn't realize it at the time, and is that he pushed all of us past the point that we felt was our limit. Right. And if you look at the kids who are in that wrestling team, like my wrestling partner, a guy named uh, Charles Best, who was a year ahead of me, always beat yeah. me by one point. Uh, rest, rest loss for the varsity spot. Where, well, where's Charles now? So Charles is the CEO and founder of a nonprofit called Donors Choose, which yeah. is a huge educational nonprofit that has people like Oprah Winfrey and Stephen Colbert and all mm. these supporters. Huge, massive success that's changing the world. And he also credits a lot of his success wow. back to Mr. Bucks. to the coach. Uh, steel, sharp and steel. It's Jamie Foxx, Fox Radio. You know how we get down. Series 96. We are with the Oprah Winfrey of the internet. We're with the Oprah. His podcast is number one. He's breaking it down on how he learned what self-experimentation was. He tells us that his coach which I still credit my coach, Coach Heisek, my seventh grade coach who gave me licks. If my grades was wrong, gave me licks. If I got caught outside, you know, he, he made sure he was doing He's given us building blocks. But talk about this. When you say there was a problem, can you speak on what it was? You had a, a, a lung situation? Yeah, what? I had. Uh, so my lung collapsed when I was born. Wow. And I think I had uh, five total blood transfusions. So I was in the ICU as a young wow. kid. And so I, was, I still have scars on the left side of my chest wow. and then on my wrist here. It looks kind of yeah. like a cigarette burn. It's not a cigarette burn. Wow, I was about to that's, say. That's right. from uh, it being intubated. And wow. uh, so even to this day, I'm very, very sensitive to heat and I right. uh, have a lot of issues uh, with even heat stroke on a few occasions wow. where I've had to be hospitalized. Wow. And I just, my brain just doesn't function. It turns off. It has a set point where these things called heat shock proteins and whatnot get triggered at a relatively low temperature compared to other folks. Right. So, so you gotta stay cool. I have to stay cool. Yeah, gotta man. stay cool. Gotta stay cool. Gotta stay brother. cool. Yeah. Yeah. It almost sounds like a superhero. It's like a. It's like. Do you remember Unbreakable? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's almost like wow. You take these things. It's like he's a superhero. He's able to be. He's able to 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 give you four hour plan, but don't let him. Well, he's don't got... let him be in the sun. You know, you gotta... <laughs> <laughs> Definitely weak in the sun. I mean, ah. you can see I'm not. I look like the underbelly of, I don't know, a manatee or something. It's all right, man. I, I got have some a lot spray tan in there. You know, <laughs> a couple of white girls came through. Well, I think what I've, if, you know, so I was a comic book nerd growing up. So I, right? I collected comics. Who's your favorite comic? Wolverine. Wow. Because Wolverine was human. I mean, he was human. <laughs> yeah, speak on it. Speak on it, brother. <laughs> Wolverine and, and the Punisher. So I was, in other words, I was, I was fans of the human comic book heroes who had found strengths or augmented strengths. So like Superman is like, hey, you were born that way. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Batman, like he had to build yeah, yeah. all the tools around him. Yeah, so yeah. that appealed to me as kind of yeah. the tinkerer. Right. And uh, you know, even to this day, the I trace it all back to these physical problems that I had as a kid. Right. And for instance, uh, this is about, I wanna say five, five or 10 years ago, I did an experiment at Stanford University. They were, I found out that they were doing research on heat tolerance for soldiers. And I was like, wow. oh, this is a chance for me to gather data on myself wow. and figure out wow. why my brain turns off. And so the experiment was terrible. What they had us do is I'd have to put 
an esophageal probe down my nose. So this is a piece of plastic that's about two feet long. You put it through right. your nostril, down your throat to your heart wow. level to measure your core body temperature. And then you, then you tape it so it doesn't get lost. Wow. And then you take another one and you stick it up the other end. Because what, is, what, is, what does that mean? You stick it up your ass. Up, oh, okay. Up to your heart that direction. Wow. So because the military wants that data. Yeah. And then you put on a full military outfit, like full military gear, weighted backpack, helmet, everything. You go into a hundred and I think it was four degree sauna and march on an incline treadmill to exhaustion until you basically have heat heat stroke. So you so you have something <laughs> up your ass and up your no and down your down your, your nose. throat. This is going all out. No wonder you 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 know your shit to be able literally. Oh yeah. Uh and then you did this. <laughs> I did. And what they were testing was a glove that uh, you stuck your hand into this glove and it would create a vacuum around your wrist and then circulate cold water around a, uh, a metal cylinder that you grabbed. And the theory was you could use that to rapidly cool your body temperature. So they wanted right. to, to develop it for soldiers. Right. And it was being tested at the time by some very, very good boxers, some right. very, very good athletes. Uh so that was uh, that was all it took for me to volunteer to do it. I only did about four sessions. I was like, after the fourth after session, the I was four like, four times of it going like, up. All right, yeah, I got. Yeah, I think, think I've had enough of this. Yeah. <laughs> did you smoke a cigarette after? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Jamie Fox Foxhole Radio is serious. XM ninety six. We're gonna take a break, and we coming right back and find out how he went from that to being the top person on the internet. This is another song that he loves. Another one bites the dust. Tim Ferriss, we're back in a moment. Sirius XM 96. Self-experimentation leading up to being one of the most sought-afters. The number one podcast in the world. I'm here with none other than the incredible, the remarkable superhero. Superhero Tim Ferriss in the building. How you doing, man? Better and better. Better and better. better, so, and better. So, so take me through it. Take me through going through the through the experiments, finding out what you want to do up until four-hour work week. Sure. So the uh, the trajectory was But get me to that, down. but just don't go straight to that. Give oh, me, no, like, I'll get you me, there. I'll get you me, there. You know, was, where'd, you, where'd, you, where'd you find this niche? Well, I think there, there were a couple of things. So I had an opportunity my sophomore year in high school to go abroad for the first time. Yeah. There was an exchange program that was available to me and uh, I'd never spent really any time outside the United States. Right. You know, up Niagara Falls, maybe crossed over to uh, Canada, uh, 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 but went to Japan for a year right. and lived with Japanese families, went to a Japanese school. I was the only, at one point, the only, you know, the only white kid, only American yeah. kid at school, 5,000 Japanese kids. Wow. School uniforms and everything. So. I was completely immersed in that culture for a year, and it, what it showed me was how arbitrary a lot of our rules are. Really? Meaning, like we drive on one side of the street, they yeah. drive on the other. Mm -hmm. we, uh, we take showers a certain way, they share baths, but you have to take a shower before you get in the bath, and the whole family uses the same bath water. Mm -hmm. uh, from, is that some kind of spiritual thing? Or what is it's it's a, just a Japanese cultural tradition, ofuro, they have these deep soaking baths, mm -hmm. and they go in order of seniority. So it's like grandma gets to go in first, wow. then dad, then mom, then yeah. the siblings from oldest to youngest. So it's like if you're the youngest kid, you get... You get the dregs. Yeah, I mean, you get all that. You get all. You get grandma's. Uh, oh yeah, you got grandma's cubes 
floating around. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's it's a trip. So on, granny. I don't I, that's not an exaggeration. I was like, oh god, yeah. what is this? So so you get in after the whole family? They oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I would get in actually before the youngest brother because oh, I was older than he was. Okay, but the, but the point being that it it showed me that our rules are very arbitrary. A lot of our rules yeah. are just kind of socially reinforced and that there's room to improvise. You can negotiate those things. Right. You can experiment. You right. can be different. You can march at your own drummer. Right. And when I came back, uh, I finished high school and ended up going to uh, college in New Jersey. I went to Princeton undergraduate right. and first studied neuroscience uh, and then transferred to East Asian studies where I focused on Japanese, Chinese, and Korean. I was mostly focused on the languages and language. Now, and why that? Why why do you feel it, it was that? What is it the certain disciplines that they have or or when you went over there you felt something that that, felt... that, that made you change? Like so sort of like when I went to Africa, mm -hmm. like there was this thing that I felt. Like it was yeah. from I said, Wow, I feel this amazing thing in Mozambique and I stood you know in the ocean and, and and I was like, Oh, I feel this thing. Is that the same? You know, it, you're actually the first you're the first person who's kinda of dug into this. Uh Yes, I did feel something. Right. And when I was there, and you know, I don't want to go as far to say like, oh my God, maybe in a past life, this, that, or the other thing. But when no, I was but, there, but you, for for, uh, you, for us on yeah. our show, yeah, please do that because oh, yeah. we don't, we don't, we don't want to, you know, we we don't skim. So, oh no, no, so no. If you if you really felt that, oh, I'll jump right into it. You yeah, know, I did, yeah. I did, and to the extent that you know, some of my closest friends when I got into judo and I was training in uh, different martial arts there and so on, they would say. They, they would insist they're like you're Japanese wow. you're not American you're Japanese and I don't wow. get it because it's weird wow. and so they would always I mean there's an expression which is just like strange foreigner and then it's be like oh my then they would just go on and on help me say that what'd you say <laughs> so strange well, okay now how do I say it? so if you want to say strange foreigner yeah it's henna henna gaijin gaijin yeah henna gaijin yeah. So if you yeah, so if you wanted to like if you're hanging out with some Japanese people yeah. and then like and some non Japanese did something funny, yeah. you could just wait until they walked off yeah. and look at them and just go <laughs> or if I'm just hanging out with some rappers and I don't like their song, I just <laughs> that, but, but here's here's the thing, like but 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 speak on that spiritual thing because I, I think I think that is really real. Yeah. And and we've talked, you know, we were at at a party and you expressed something about you know, coyotes and things like that. But, yeah. but speak speak on that, that, that you felt something. So in in Japan, I felt like in a lot of ways, I was returning home to a place I had never been, which is an odd feeling to have. But the simplicity, the striving for elegance, and the way they use negative space, mm -hmm. for instance, just the way that you'll have certain rooms in the house that are extremely uncluttered, that are used for... Uh, they have altars, they have tatami rooms, mm -hmm. and it just struck a chord with me, right. and I felt like I was returning to something, mm -hmm. but of course, I had never mm -hmm. been there previously. And uh, the, quite frankly, a lot of the strict rules that they socially enforce, so you have, for instance, in the judo club, <laughs> you have, and this can go wrong, right? I'm not yeah, saying yeah, all yeah. of it's good, but no, no, no. you have you have senpai, which are like the upperclassmen, and yeah. then you have kohai, which are like the lower classmen. Yeah. And it's very hierarchical. It's right. like you do what the senpai tell you to really? do. But it was what I really enjoyed about it and what I had not really had, because I was the oldest sibling in my family, right. was like, they'll beat your ass, right. uh, but... Uh, no one else is allowed to beat your ass. Uh, you know what I mean? Nah, so it was, nah, a, so nah, it was nah. a very yeah. kind of older brother type of relationship, but I was always the oldest, so I hadn't right. I'd ever experienced that. 
and uh, I found just like tremendous comfort in that in right. in uh, in a large uh, to to a large extent and um it was an easy to understand culture also I think in the US right now people are prone not to say what they mean and uh, I'll I'll come back to that in a second okay. and there's so much political correctness and wow I want to get into that yeah, I want to get into that as and, a comedian I want to get into right. that as a comedian and uh, everybody's concerned with upsetting everyone else's feelings whereas right. in Japan once you get past what they call uh, tatemai, so tatemai is like what you put forward to other people, right. and then honne is what you really feel. Right. And uh, only if you speak Japanese, people are like, oh my God, Japanese people, they never say what they mean. I'm like, that's bullshit. You just don't speak Japanese. Like, right. if, you, if you speak the language, they'll let you in. They're constantly saying and then, the shoes you got on. And... Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, I just found it a very refreshing culture right. uh, in, in the sense that there were rules that had worked for them for thousands of years and not all positive things came from them, but right. it, um, it did feel oddly familiar to me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Because you say that quite frankly, or, or maybe it could have been a past life. We did it. We did a great radio interview with Quentin Tarantino on, on here. And we talked about how he used the N word, how mm -hmm. he used the word. And, I, I, I wanted to get him on because, you know, a, a lot of black folks, you know, we, especially dealing with all the things with the Oscars, all these different things about, you know, that word and why Quentin Tarantino. And he said, before we got on the radio, and he also said on the radio, I felt that in my past life, I was actually a black man. And when he said that, it was no hokiness. It was actually, you know, you believe it because he spoke with conviction. So so talk about it. Do you think that there that we do live past lives and or or is it selective i uh, you know i i don't rule it out i mean it's i don't have any evidence for it right but my experience in japan was quirky enough and just right. felt deep and real enough that there seems to be more to the, to the story right 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 <laughs> and right. and uh even even to the extent and of course there are alternate ways to explain this but I had trouble learning Spanish. Then I went to Japan and I picked up Japanese like a snap of the fingers. Wow. Uh, and, and there were challenges, but even the characters and so on came to me very naturally. And I think that was part of uh, visual memory. But it was a transformative experience. So right. that, that year abroad sort of informed and changed the trajectory of my life wow. completely. Wow. And the way that I related to American culture and to wow. thinking of myself and to thinking of what was, you know, quote unquote real or realistic. I was right. like, well, here's a culture that works just fine. Yeah. And it's totally different. Like right. the rules of engagement, the rules of interrelating right. are totally different. Wow. So what's to prevent me from taking those and bringing them back to the US or just trying to find option C, right? Mm. Right. And uh, so I think that is also something that opened my eyes to just asking what if questions like, well, what if I did this that no one else is doing? Right. What's the worst thing that could happen? What's oh. the downside? Let me try it. And then test, 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 test. Right. Right. It's Jamie Fox, Foxhole Radio. We're getting deep right now. It's Foxhole Radio, Series 96. If you don't know, you better know. Tim Ferriss right now. Go to his podcast right now. He's the number one podcast in the world. 70 Billion downloads, seventy billion. We're, we're closing. Cl I'm working on billion. Bill, seventy million. million. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. We on our way there. Uh, it, he is considered the Oprah Winfrey of audio podcasts. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Let me keep on with this. You said something about the political incorrectness. You said something about what are we going through right now in, in, in the world? Because there, I, I do feel that there's a fine line. Me as a comedian. 
I've always, you know, I've, I've been put on this earth for that. I've been put on this earth to look at what is funny no matter what. Whether it's Christian, whether it's Muslim, where it's fat, skinny, tall, short, that is my license. But right now in America, we're going through something that is incredibly weird, especially when I talk to Jay Leno. I talked to Rock, Chris Rock, who had a very, very tough time uh, landing uh, at the Oscars, which was tough. I thought it was the toughest job in the world for him to have to do because uh, we want to respect Jada Pinkett Smith in that, in that sense. But at the same time, we have to do our jokes because of it. But, and it put him in this weird thing. What, what's, what do you think we should do? Since you're the open winner, we're coming to you right now. Tim, put us in the right, in the right light. Like, what do we need to be? I think we should worry about helping people and not placating right. people. Wow. Wow. Uh, I think it. I think we should concern ourselves with speaking truth and not glad handing. Wow. And uh, that's easier said than done, of course. But I really feel that I've, I've said this to friends of mine in close conversation where I live in Silicon Valley before that I feel like comedians are the only people right now who can speak truth. Right. Right. And it's just like the court jester back in the day. It was like the court jester could speak truth to the king. Anyone else to have their head lopped off. Yeah. And that person had license. And my feeling is hopefully we can expand that. And we need to expand that because I've noticed among some of my most intelligent, most incisive, most influential friends, they've just opted out of the conversation yeah. because they're afraid of getting chased by the lynch mob, so to speak, yeah. for saying anything that is truth. And uh, that's a dangerous trend. That's a very yeah. dangerous trend. And uh, I, I'll just mention one more thing, which is there's a book that a lot of people read in high school called Fahrenheit 451. And these firemen run around and they burn books. Wow. And if you ask anyone who's read the book but hasn't read it in like 20 years, wh what do you remember of, of how that came to be in the book? They'd say, oh, there's this totalitarian government. The truth is it was the people. It was the mm. people who decided that any dissenting opinions of it would offend uh, specific groups in society ought to be burned. It, so it was self-inflicted. Wow. And I think that's what we're doing right now is wow. we are slowly torching the First Amendment and free speech by basically just going on these witch hunts. Right. And um, I think I think it's the most dangerous thing in the U.S. right now. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I think what's also dangerous, too, is is sometimes the wrong people, sometimes the wrong people bring the message without mentioning any names, but sometimes it, it makes it hard when other people go so far and it ain't funny. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like I always say like this, yeah, we could say whatever we want to say. As long as you have it wrapped up in some sort of funny or something that gives us a little caveat of, I, I care about you. Yeah, I'm going to talk about you. Uh, I, I did a joke about uh, 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 Bruce Jenner early on, but my but the reason that my joke, the reason that the joke was there is because in comedy, if we are all equal, then that means everybody gets equal jokes. Right. Like I, I can't do the the black joke, and then not do the white joke. There was a situation when I had to do I had I had to host this this uh, I had to host this award show. And uh, they went through and they looked at all of our jokes and all the jokes that were for African-Americans, they were like, oh, man, that is hilarious. But then the ones that weren't for African-Americans, which was, you know, uh, uh, some of the, the the white people who were talking, they had a hard time with it. And, and I was like, listen, I was like, listen, I said, we have to do it all across the board, straight, gay, black, white. We have to give everybody an opportunity to get in. 
And they were so nervous about me doing these. But when we went out and did them, even the people that we were talking about came up and said, oh, man, we loved it because it felt like they were part yeah. uh, 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 of the party. And and it was sort of like I said, you got to trust the comedian that, yeah, it, it's going to hurt a little bit. And I asked this. And I'll ask you this question. Ask you, when is the joke is when do you laugh at a joke your hardest? When? When it's the most uncomfortable? When it's not about you. Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay, there we go. When you laugh, oh, man, them Japanese do be doing that. <laughs> yeah, man, the Mexicans do be doing that. They say black people, are, hey, man, why are you going at us like that? <laughs> it's just sort of, I want to take, take a break. I want to come back to that just to tie that up because I really want to get your take on it, not my take on it, on, on how we can navigate now through a world where we've gone too politically correct, have we? And then how do we not go too far on the other side without putting something uh, there that, that that's in, you know, that makes sense, if it makes sense. We're here with Tim Ferriss. It's Fox So Serious Radio. You better tune in right now and get your life right because he's going to come in after this and tell you how to get your life together in four hours. <laughs> Serious 96. Jay Fox, Fox O. We'll be right back. Tim. What is this? What is what is this song? This song? is uh, Baby Metal Karate. This uh, is <laughs> baby Metal Karate, baby. That's what's going to be in the playlist. That's Tim Ferriss. That's Tim Ferriss. It's Fox O Radio Series 96. We are getting nourished right now. We're not just having a radio show. We're getting nourished with, 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 with our minds. We were just talking, before we went to break, we were talking about political correctness. Has it become too much and you were saying you were talking about daniel tosh and, and i was i was because i, th I think that he is <laughs> if you if you look at his headshot like yeah. this is this is a guy who you wouldn't expect to step out and bring some of the comedy that he does and i yeah. recall at one point before he was i think it was before tosh uh point oh, but when he was doing stand-up and what i appreciated was how uncomfortable he made everyone yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i just remember this one bit and there will be a point to this, but you know, he he opened it up with, "I wonder if people taste like their ethnic cuisine." And I'm gonna massacre <laughs> the bit. And he's like, "No, that's hilarious." But he's like, and like like black people, black people, like, do they taste like fried chicken? Oh, hilarious. and then everyone's like, "Oh, I don't know if I should laugh. I don't know if I should laugh." And he's like, "No, no, no, I'll get you. Don't worry." And he's like, "Chinese people, kung pao chicken." <laughs> and then everybody starts loosening it up, and they're laughing, laughing, laughing. Yeah. And it's audience is probably fifty percent white, and then he's like, "And white people." He's like, no, we don't eat white people. And, and so they didn't get the out. They didn't yeah. get the out. So yeah. Everyone's like, oh my God, was it okay to laugh? Was it not okay to laugh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that, I think it was Mae West who said, you know, those who are offended easily should be offended more often. Yeah, oh, and love I, that. And I think that in the U.S. right now, we were just talking on break about yeah. how the internet, I think, is, it's a great tool, but it's like a knife. It cuts both ways. Yeah. And it can be used for harm or it can be harm used for good. And when every genius but every idiot has a voice there there are you a genius or an idiot yeah it's the new t-shirt <laughs> and everyone has a voice right. uh but i think in that environment what we've seen is that you could take you can sacrifice unfortunately some people who could really contribute to society if they if they slip up and say one stupid thing which we all say yeah. uh but they'll get lynched not by their peers necessarily but people who aren't in a position and shouldn't be in a position to judge them and so what i would say is that we have a term social justice warrior that's used for people who are just on the internet constantly saying, you can't say that, yeah. you know, like you were, we were talking about going to like yeah. college campuses and talking about whales, like you're whale oh, shaming. Oh yeah, man, do a, I'm doing a college thing and I said something about whales, you're whale shaming. <laughs> we couldn't do a, 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 a joke on, on one of the things about sharks. 
because okay. some some singer said she's doing the shark campaign to save the sharks and they shut us down. We couldn't tell shark jokes. That's unbelievable. It it to me it. So and, and what, what do we do? Because I'm, cause I'm okay, gonna let well, you talk. I'm uh, yeah, let you what talk. I what I think that what, one of the ways we could stem this tide is because I feel like there are a lot of people who can contribute to society, yeah. and we're all flawed human beings. We're all gonna make mistakes. We're right. all gonna say stupid things. That shouldn't remove your ability to contribute to society, right? Right, right, right. right. Even if you, even if let's just say you're not, let's say you, somebody does say something racist or sexist or fill in the blank, if they're doing incredibly valuable work like that, they shouldn't have to resign from their yeah. job necessarily for that. Now, I mean, of course, it's a question of degree, but what I would say is, one of the ways I think we need to stem the tide is by using language because that's the weapon that's being used right. to to sort of mute freedom of speech. In other words, if someone says fill in the blank ist they can they can shut you down they can end your comedy show right. well right now we don't have a term to apply to those people who cry wolf too often and do wow. unmitigated damage so what if instead of social justice warrior which sounds actually net positive there was a term the one that i thought of was bigoteer so wow. bigoteer is someone who tries to be a profiteer by calling other people bigots wow. and all of a sudden those people will have a consequence for crying wolf and falsely accusing people right. loosely. Right. So I think that, that that language is one of the key pieces in this arsenal uh, because the problem itself is a problem of language. Uh, so yeah. so I'm curious to see where, where it'll go. And also, I would just implore people, comedians and other people, who are in a position where perhaps they're, say, self-employed, so they don't have or they don't perceive as many risks as someone who's in like a tight corporate structure, right. speak your mind. Right. right, and uh, right. and uh, and really recognize that the downside, in most cases, is being judged by people you shouldn't care about impressing in the first place. Right, 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 right. So to because the there are people possible. out there who just like I mean, there are people out there who just want to do that. Like you know, I mean, sometimes people tell me about what you Fox, you hear what they say about it. I said, no, nah, I don't really get into it. But yeah, uh, he, he's racist. Nobody dates white girls. But then there's the Trayvon, but then he, but he's gay. And, he, the, and I said, man, you can't keep up with all of these things that people and then if you say one thing now, I've always been this even even in the toughest situations where there's been situations where either something's been said by black folks or something's been said by people that I, that I care about I've always been leery of someone saying something and you taking everything away from them mm -hmm. I remember it was um, uh, I don't know if it was Don Imus I, I, don't, I don't remember who, who, it, who it was but I believe myself and Howard Stern were on the same page. We were on the same. I'm a, first of all, huge Howard Stern fan, like huge fan of his. Howard Stern has made his living his whole life. I mean, you know, Don Rickles 2.0, uh, if if you would. And and we've said some of the wildest shit on our show and on his show. But I never thought that someone should be shut completely down if we say something we had to own up to miley cyrus we did something that was that she was 16 i didn't know who she was at the time we did jokes that was you know we did that type of jokes we, we you know we, we would we were considered the black howard stern and, and once my daughter <laughs> came to jay why would you do that daddy to hannah montana and i was like who is hannah montana and we didn't know but we did make a mistake but what we did was we put ourselves on punishment we went down for however many weeks, and then we came back, we made our apologies because, you know, it, 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 you know, it, it was, we, we offended people at that time, 
But what we asked was, don't let us close shop. Don't let us uh, uh, put away our, our our comedy swords because that's what we're here to do. And, and the, the, the interesting thing about jokes is if half the room goes ooh and half the room laughs, that's usually uh, a, a successful uh, a successful outing with jokes. Definitely. And I, th- and I think that for those people interested, you know, one of the biggest assets and resources for me over the last decade or so has been Stoke philosophy. And wow. so Marcus Aurelius and Seneca, it's very old, but it's actually surprisingly easy to read. And the objective of Stoke philosophy is to give you basically an operating system for making better decisions in life without being reactive. And I think that we, we suffer from an illusion in the U S which is that, uh, Comfort will bring happiness. Mm. And so we want to close our sphere of comfort, if that makes sense. Whereas right. we, sh- we should want to expand our sphere of comfort by exposing ourselves right. to things that are uncomfortable, by right. exposing right. ourselves to opinions we dislike, exposing right. ourselves to, I mentioned I was fasting for the last few days, yeah. exposing myself to hunger so that I don't fear being hungry. Wow. So that if I'm in an airport and I'm like, oh, I haven't eaten in six hours, I should really have a Big Mac. No, what? you don't need to eat. You can, wow. you can go as wow. long as you need to without eating wow. and developing a resilience and a strength in that. Right. And I think that if it's very important and you see this in, for instance, where I live Silicon Valley a lot, because I've been involved with tech for a long time, but right. you have to make mistakes and you have to make frequent mistakes in order to learn and innovate. Wow. And language is the, the, the underlying foundation of all of that. So like right. you said, if someone makes a mistake and you close up shop, that is the yeah. fastest way to end learning innovation pushing the envelope and uh, healing a lot of wounds. I mean, it, because you, yeah. you take these issues and you just shove them under the surface. You don't get rid of them right. by muting right. someone. Right, right. You're, you're exactly right. Because, of some, because I would always say, like, you're, 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 you're taking someone out of the equation who really can help you. Like, there are really racist people. There are really bigoted people out there. But the comedian... And and folks who are just you know like 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 there was a situation like uh like uh, and I'll talk about this because it's already out there and and she's a good friend of mine, uh but it was Amy Pascal, and uh, Amy Pascal and there was this e- uh, internet email thing, and people just went berserk. Oh my God, she's burning crosses. She got she got a, a white sheet in the back of her Mercedes, and I'm like, bro, look at the amount of movies that she's done that are African American. And Elijah's here. She, he could tell you, she was the only one doing African American film. You know, now you take something that was out of context. If if they caught me in my house talking about other races, oh man, I wouldn't be able to go to uh, Laos. I wouldn't be able. To, I'd be talking about everybody. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but she was a great person yeah. when it came to doing African American movies. Now she's not there. Yeah. So now who you got? You know, so I was like, be careful on slinging that type of rhetoric around too much because a lot of people that are out there are going to, like I said, you're going to make a mistake every once in a while. But like I said, you shouldn't like, uh, you know, throw them overboard. It's Foxhole Radio Series 96. We're here with Tim Ferriss. He's given us the tools when I tell you that Oprah Winfrey is now a white man and he's on the Internet. His name is Tim Ferriss, 70 trillion <laughs> downloads on his podcast and I'm going to read what it says so I, so people don't be like oh Jamie Foxx was saying and Oprah Winfrey dating a white man no what I'm saying is how Tim Ferriss became the Oprah of audio 
How did you get into this? How did you? Let's get into it now. Tech world. You said the tech world. How does one get into that? So I moved. I moved to the the Bay Area. So I moved to the the San Francisco area after college, and uh, just in time for everything to implode. So I moved there in '99. I was the second to lowest paid, aside from the secretary at the startup company. They made a mistake. They sent out an Excel spreadsheet, and one of the tabs was everybody's compensation. That was a big mistake. It made everybody upset. But in any case, uh, that company imploded, and I found myself on the West Coast, and I was surrounded by tech. So I was in the middle of the switchboard, and so I, I decided. Decided to uh, become involved because I'd built some companies prior to that in advising and investing in startups. And the way I looked at it, and I think this is a helpful way to look at a lot of things, is uh, originally, as context, I had fantasized about going to Stanford Business School. There's a whole host of reasons, but I, I'd always felt like I was kind of intended to go to Stanford because it was a beautiful campus, the palm trees. Mm-hmm. Didn't go. And I was like, I, I need to go there for business school. Right. And I applied twice, I went through the process. And I didn't go uh, because it was too theoretical. And what I ended up deciding was, okay, I'm going to take the money that I would have had to pay for business school mm-hmm. and I'm going to put it into investing in startups. And that's going to be my MBA. So I'm going to, yeah. over two years, the same space of time, I'm going to invest small checks in these startups. And my assumption is I'm going to lose all the money. So I shouldn't use money that I can't afford to lose. Right. So over that period of time, I was looking at it as education. So it's like, what can I invest in where I will learn a lot, right? What kind of, what kind of startup can I invest in where I'll have the opportunity to interact with people who will average me up, right? One piece of advice I was given when I was in my teens that I found probably the most useful of any was you're the average of the five people you associate with most. So I was like, all right, how can I use these small bets to associate with higher and higher caliber of person? And I did that over the span of two years and I didn't lose all the money. A couple of them worked. And uh, so I've ended up investing in Twitter, Facebook, Uber, and many others. So that was the beginning of my relationship in tech and helping some of these uh, startup founders in very particular ways. Uh, the, the audio came about in the podcast yeah. because I was burned out on books. Really? Yeah, I was totally burned out on books. I have this terrible habit of writing long books. So they're 400 to 700 pages long. And I was so. This is your first book. My first book was 420 pages. That was a four-hour work week. That came out in 2007. Uh, nobody expected it to do anything. Uh, it had an initial print run of 12,000 copies, yeah. and uh, it hit the New York Times list largely thank, thanks to uh, early adoption by tech folks, yeah. and it stayed there for four, more than four years unbroken. Uh, and <laughs> nobody expected that to happen. So I remember my, my, my editor, my editor called me at the time at Heather and she, I remember she, I got the call and she goes, I was exhausted because I was doing some like radio junket, some like, you know, satellite radio yeah, yeah, tour, you know, these yeah, things you like sure, sit there with like sure. a pitcher of coffee and you do yeah, 30 yeah. radio interviews and I just finished and I was so exhausted and she called and she goes, Hey there, Mr. New York times bestselling author. And I was like, what? Wow. And she goes, you hit the list. And I was like, Heather, don't fuck with me. Uh, Not right now, right, please. Right, right? I can't do it. She's like, no, you hit the list. And it was wow. just so unexpected and so surreal. How'd you feel, man? I, I, I leaned back against the wall. I was in a room by myself because yeah. everybody had left. It was like 6 p.m. on the East Coast and just kind of slid down the wall and just like sat there. And I didn't know what to think. The I young mean, kid with the collapsed lung. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, the young kid who, who, whose body temperature gets heated up and who, whose brain shuts down. Brain shuts down, yeah. and all of a sudden you got a bestseller. Yeah, it was. Wow. Uh, I was literally blank. Like I just, yeah. I couldn't even conceive of it being real. Right. It's kind of like waking up from a dream, and you're like, yeah. oh no, no, it was just a dream. Yeah. So it took me a long time to even begin to. 
conceive Proce- of how that yeah process yeah. how that would affect my life but it opened the door to writing more so i never planned on being a writer in fact i decided after college i didn't want to write because right. i found it so painful mm. uh and so i think like like many people maybe that you know certainly people i know right. they create things because they're scratching their own itch like they have mm-hmm. to create it yeah, yeah. or it'll drive them crazy yeah, yeah. and so writing was like that for me right and uh but the audio came about because I did three books and I just found myself burned out. Right. I felt like I'd been using the same now, part three of my books. brain. Talk about the three books. So we got four hour work week, which was that. really a collection yes, of experiments. We, for our listeners right now that's listening, Fox on Radio, Sirius 96, get into what four hour work week is. So the four hour work week is a book that focuses on my studies of different entrepreneurs and uh, case studies of my own, different experiments, looking at how you can 10x your hourly output. Right. And once you control that currency known as time, you can do all sorts of interesting things like travel. So it talks about low-cost travel. It talks about geo-arbitrage, where you might say outsource things to a different country and very interesting ways to design ideal lifestyles. Right. So that, that was the first book. Right. And that's uh, yeah, it's been out for almost 10 years now, and yeah. it's still usually top 200 on Amazon. Uh, the next book, The 4-Hour Body, came back to my roots, like, mm. uh, the wrestling roots, right. basically. And it looked at physical performance. Right. So I did experiments in uh, every possible way, whether it was maximal strength, uh, sprinting, NFL combine training, holding my breath with David Blaine, sleep, wow. sex, you name it. Sleep, sex. Get, go back to that part. <laughs> so sleep, uh, I studied people, friends of mine, who'd been able to get by for years on two to two and a half hours of sleep a day wow. by splitting their sleep up into something called polyphasic sleep, including uh, Matt Mullenweg, so Ricardo knows, uh, of Matt Mullenweg, who runs a billion-dollar company. Wow. And... Uh, uh, that was uh, sex. We looked at a bunch of different aspects. So for the yeah, men, we look- a, let's take a few minutes on that. Too. Let's talk about the sex. You know, it's not that I'm really concerned about it. I just want to get your take on things right now. Go ahead, so Jerry, so we talked about we talked about things related to sort of male sexual health and performance, such right. as in, improving testosterone, right. improving sperm count, right. uh, and so on. And then there were t- at, at least two chapters, but two chapters that probably got, well, they did get a lot of attention, which were <laughs> sure. on, uh, the, 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 they were on female. We are, all the guys <laughs> peaked up like, how, how I need to do it now? What's going on? Two chapters on uh, everything related to female orgasm. Wow. And uh, what was funny about that chapter is that the, I didn't realize it was right in the middle of the book. There are all these vagina diagrams. Right. Right. And so the book got the book uh, the book got yanked out of Costco because there are all these moms who are like, oh, just look at this. open it up, open it up, and it would just flip right open to all these vaginas, flip. and their kids would just be like, what are these, mommy? And they're like, oh, oh, complete. they're butterflies. Yeah, it was it was just chaos. So <laughs> so the book got yanked out of, out of Costco. Oh man, that is it. Now what now? Now our listeners are all over the, you know all over the planet. But what what about a female orgasm? What 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 was what's in this? What's the key? Yeah, what's the key? Well, the key is, <laughs> the key <laughs> is, peaks, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the key is uh, to start me. with. So about fifty percent of women in the U.S. Uh, last I checked are inorgasmic. They've not experienced uh, an orgasm. And uh, that can have a lot of reasons. Uh, can be have a lot of explanations, whether it's religious upbringing, being the oldest sister is very common really? as a pattern, uh, and uh, there, there are others certainly. But what's very helpful, and people can look into this, is looking at something called orgasmic meditation, which is basically manual stimulation of the clitoris without any sex, meaning no penetration. So you separate the sexual act from the orgasm mm. and you effectively are practicing mindfulness and an attention to the sensation of being pleasured and stimulated for the woman. So there's no performance anxiety, in other words. And you just say, we're going to do this for 15 minutes, 
and you don't have to do anything. You just like focus on your breath and feeling. Yeah. And there's no sex. You don't have to do anything for me. You don't have to perform. Wow. And by removing all of those pressures and all those expectations with practice, and sometimes it's the first session, these women who have never experienced orgasms experience orgasms. Right. And then there's the technical piece, right? So if yeah. you look, if we want to get into it, so if you're looking sort of directly at the clitoris, yeah. about one o'clock on that clitoris, top upper right quadrant is where most women will be most sensitive. Boy, Tim is, boy. And, uh, is a pimp right and light contact, which means like four kind of pages of paper deep. That's it. I think a lot of guys go after like they're starting a lawnmower. That's not uh, yeah. not super effective. Yeah. Rubber knuckle. Yeah. Rubber knuckle. <laughs> <laughs> right. What are you trying to do, oh my god? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So light. It was a black girl. <laughs> <laughs> so those are those are some of the things that are in that chapter. That is amazing. That is amazing. And you know what? That, to 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 be honest, that that can help a lot of relationships. You know, oh, it has. That has I, I, lot of, I know that it saved, a lot of it, it's directly saved marriages. Wow, that's amazing. And I got a letter from uh, from someone, a Hollywood director, pretty well known guy, who um, was able to finally get pregnant with. Well, he didn't get pregnant, but his wife got pregnant. Wow. Uh, with a few of the things from the Four Hour Body, very simple stuff. Man, it's Fox O Radio. Let Tim Ferriss get you pregnant. It's <laughs> Serious ninety six. We're gonna take a break. We're coming right back. One o'clock, ladies. <laughs> we out. Yes. Amp Radio, it's Jamie Foxx. We're back with Tim Ferriss. <laughs> That's seven dust. Seven dust. Now, now, all of you guys out there listening right now, trying to figure this out, I'm with Tim Ferriss. He is the, considered now, the Oprah of audio podcasts. You can get your life right. Now, and, and what's amazing, listening to that song right now, which is one of his top five songs, tell him who that is. Well, that is uh, Splinter by Seven Dust and I actually used that for a book trailer that I did for The 4-Hour Body Wow! and uh, people hear that and they might not realize the characteristics of the lead singer he is a black dude with uh, like, long dreads from, at, from Atlanta see don't just homogenize I mean and, generalize uh, and their acoustic double wide album is incredible Wow, Fantastic. amazing. We're going to get that. Yeah. We're going to get that. T listen, we, we talked about the books. We talked about 4-Hour Workday, 4-Hour Body. Talk about this, though. And I've always said this with Ricardo. You know, I'm late to the to the party when it comes to podcasts, when it comes to internet, when it comes to social media. I struggle with the whole idea of social media because it goes against sort of, against a little bit of what I do. You know, like being an artist, I didn't know it's weird to see the world change. It's weird to see the world change where, you know, I, I worked so much on, well, there's mystique. And then my daughter, my oldest daughter be like, dad, you get, you can stay, you can stay hidden. If you want to, they'll forget about you. I said, what you mean? You know, you drop the album, then you wait a couple of years. And he said, dad, you better drop an album every six months or they forget about you. So Ricardo, you know, young, Finger on the pulse of everything. Huge fan of yours. Comes to me and says, man, you have to meet this guy. He'll change your life. You did change my life. But let me ask you this. How did you master this? What is the ingredient or what is, or is it just a blessing? What is this? How do you become 70 million downloads? That means that is interaction. That's not somebody saying these people are following me. 
this is going down. And that's yeah, that's usually two and a half hour interviews too. It's not like a thirty second video clip. That's amazing. It's a commitment. I think I think there are a few ingredients, and I'm sure there was a lot of luck and good timing involved, certainly. But there there are a few things that I very deliberately keep in mind that I think have been helpful. Right. The first is, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, where you know you got a really strong joke when half the room laughs and half yeah. doesn't. Okay, yeah. so I never write. Let's just say, so my blog has, let's just call it two and a half, three million readers, right? right. Which at one point was around the same subscriber base as the Wall Street Journal, I think. But right. regardless, uh, and I write long pieces. They're not short. Right. And uh, when I write a piece, and this is true of the audio too, I never write a piece that I hope all two and a half or three million people will like. Why? I try to write a post that 10% will love. Mm. And then I assume every few months I will hit everybody, right? right? So it's like by the time I rotate through six or 10 articles, each person will get one that they're absolutely diehard right. uh, in love with and they will share that. And on, on another level, when I write, I try to produce evergreen content or when mm. I'm recording audios. So right. when we were doing our, our recording, which was three feet from where we're sitting <laughs> yeah, yeah. on the couch, I was trying to ask questions that would provoke stories and answers and lessons learned that people right. could use 10 years from now. Right, right, right. right? So right, it's, right, it's not right. just a three-minute TV interview, nothing wrong with that, but asking right. you about the latest celebrity news, which is going to be irrelevant in six months. Right, right. It was trying to search for the timeless and also trying to focus on really getting 10% to love something, even if the other 90% hate it. That's okay. Right, right, right. And I remember at some point, I don't recall who said it, but uh, there was a quote I read that had a huge impact on me, which was, there's no sure path to success, but the sure path to failure is trying to please everyone. Wow, Elijah, Ashley, did you just hear that? And I'm talking to Elijah and Ashley, who are incredible writers themselves as far as the movie, and they just sold some some things. So we're, they're getting this nourishment as well. And, and there are also a few books that have had uh, a very, very helpful impact on my thinking about this. One was a very short read. It's called the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. Mm -hmm. And what I like about it, get the old version, not the for the internet version. Right. <laughs> like the old version where they're looking at like imported beer and airlines, that's that's the one that I like. And it, it just talks about, you know, in, in other, uh, or I should say in, in simple terms, how to create new categories as mm -hmm. opposed to trying to dominate an existing category. Wow. Right. Wow, so so it's, wow. it's easier and more effective to try to create a new category, which I often do through language. Right. So for instance, with the four hour work week, uh, I wrote the book that I couldn't find. It was basically the book that I wanted to find. Mm. And, uh, the options at the time I went to the bookstore, I was searching for meaning. I had all these challenges with, uh, business, with entrepreneurship and so on. And I could either choose a book that was, uh, how to give up money and why it's not important, how to reuse your toothpaste 17 times, or, how to build a fortune 500 company with Jack Welch. And I wanted something in between. Right. So, so I built that or I wrote that and ended up using this term that may have existed before, but I hadn't heard it called lifestyle design. So lifestyle design, I did not trademark. I did not make any attempt to protect because I wanted to become part of the common vocabulary. I wanted to become right. part of the vernacular, right. which it has. So mm. now that's used by hundreds and thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people. Lifestyle design. And it's a category. Now, yeah. since I was first, I have that first mover advantage, like I am kind of forever in a sense, the founding father of that category. Right. And the, when I looked at podcasting, I asked myself two things. I asked myself, first and foremost, how can I do something that is different from what is currently out there? Yeah. And 
let's make a list of all the attributes. Like let's call the 10, 20 people who are say organizers of events related to these things. What are their rules? And they lay it out. So they're like, okay, it needs to be this. You need to have musical segues. You need to have, uh, it needs to be 20 minutes or less or whatever they might be, right? Whatever right. the rules are. And I would look at the most common rules and then I would try the opposite. Mm. And, wow. and what I realized was that, uh, if you focus also on highly tactical, actionable bits of information, not abstract, mm. then it, it's a rarity right now. For whatever reason, uh, th- things tend to get very, very abstract. So if I lay out, let's say, my com- my common rapid-fire questions are designed very specifically to be actionable and therefore shareable. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. So if I ask a person, what is the book you've gifted the most to other people? What does mm. the first 90 minutes of your morning look like? Mm. Uh, what is the purchase for $100 or less that has most impacted your life in the last six months? And I ask these questions. There are two aspects of it that make it very, very viral and very valuable. Well, number one is that people can emulate and test all of those things the next day. Secondly, they won't just share the information. They will try those things and then share the results that they get from that on social media or elsewhere. And as, as a consequence of that, if I stopped writing completely, or if I stopped doing the podcast completely, my back catalog gets listened to so much that there would basically be no drop off. So mm. I, I could take the three years off right. and I wouldn't actually fear being forgotten. Right. Uh, and there are counterexamples. So this is the other thing I always look for. I look for counterexamples of people who aren't doing what everyone else is doing. Like uh, this is the first one that comes to mind, but like Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah. As far as I know, that guy's just, he's gone. He's a phantom unless yeah. he comes out and then you're yeah. like, Oh shit, he won another Oscar. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it, 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 there's, it's sort of in between sometimes because I do look at I do look at some people that use use it a lot and then sometimes it may it may exhaust them a little, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I also look at the the people who are, who do stay refreshed and and I don't know this either but I I know uh, uh, Adele came out and just smashed yeah. you know and sold however many billions of records while Beyonce. It is a, you know, it's it's an onslaught, you know, yep. which is great as well. Uh, but it, it's, you know, I mean. But, and it, but you, you also end up in a kind of chicken or the egg conundrum, uh, I think, with a lot of these celebrities because one can wonder, did they sell so many records because they had a big social following or did they get so many people as a social following because they weren't on social media and focused on their art first, Ooh. right? So, so I, I am of the opinion, and this is speaking as a tech investor, yeah. like I have, you know, I have a dog in this fight. Like I have a lot yeah. to gain yeah, yeah, by yeah. people using social media. I think more artists are distracted from their most important work than are helped f- from, for their important work by Say social that media. again, Tim. <laughs> Let him know, Tim. <laughs> Speak to the artist, Tim, right now. It's Fox O Radio, Sirius 96. I, I, I want people to really understand what you're saying because I overheard an, an artist who didn't have to say this, that it was more about, it was more about the, 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 the machine than, uh, than maybe the art and my thing was i think you're great at both but if you forget about the art that machine will fall on top of you oh the machine will, will churn you and up right 
Absolutely. Talk to them, Tim, please. They need this right well, now. Well, I think if, oh you, if, if I look at the writers that I most aspire yeah. to be like or emulate, if I look at the artists I most respect, they're very good at shutting out distractions for a period of time and doing deep work. Right. And you need a certain degree of isolation, I think, yeah. uh, in, in many hour blocks of time to connect those uncommon dots uh, or to create new dots altogether. And those who are distracted by social media are increasingly unable to create the conditions for their best work. And it's not hard to understand why, because for instance, there's a book that I haven't seen, but a friend told me about another writer. And I think it's called working on my novel is the name of the book, but it's a collect, but it's a collection of tweets and Facebook (laughs) posts from people who should have been working on their novel. Uh, All these writers who said they're on writing deadline, but Writers will do anything to avoid writing. So you give them something easy to do, like post on Twitter, take pictures of their food and put it on Instagram. Oh, Lord. They're Jesus. not going to write. And oh, I, Lord. You know, this is giving. I'm not. First of all, let me say this. I know a lot of entertainers. And I know we're actually simulcasting on your podcast as well. And I want to let people know on your podcast that I'm doing a little bit of this craziness because we are doing my radio show. So, <laughs> so I don't want them to listen to people. What? Why is he screaming and acting so crazy? But, but when it comes to social media, I've watched a lot of artists die, yeah, because they're so connected to this that they'll read their comments. And then they'll just they'll they won't be able to sort of dig out and they begin to try to please everyone, which goes back to what you said, that you can't please them. Well, exactly. And and furthermore, I would say artistic death is creativity by consensus. Wow. And if you're looking at your comments to determine how to steer your creative ship, you're dead before you even get out of the gate. Wow. And that's, that's my opinion. I think that if you look at anything that's truly groundbreaking, it went against the tide. It never would have been voted for. Wow. If that, if you follow my, like, and I mean, I don't know why this first thing comes to mind, but like Macklemore and like, you know, thrift store like that. Yeah. If if you had put that into the machine, that wouldn't have gotten it out. Would never have gotten past square one. Wow. Uh, And some of the writing that you see that's really innovative. Uh, I've just read this book called How to Get Filthy Rich in Rising Asia, which is written by a, a really smart guy in Pakistan, actually. Wow. And it's written in uh, effectively first person. So it says you wake up with the side of your head on the mud in your mother's thatched hut. And it's all you, you, you. It's just so inventive. And if he had tried that as his first book going through a traditional process, right. never would have worked. I don't wow. think. It never would have yeah. seen the light of day. Yeah. So, so my, my thinking at least. And if I look at my best work and we've all had, well, I shouldn't say we, I'll speak for myself. I've had better work and I've certainly had weaker work. Right. Right. And if I look at when those things come to pass, the best work is coming from periods of, uh, deep work where I purposefully block out exterior distractions and inputs and opinions. Right. Right. Let me ask you this. When I'm on the street, and people come up to me, they talk about you in a, in a almost, not in a, in a sense of a, in an Oprah Winfrey way, but almost, there's a, almost a, not to get in trouble, but you're leading. Like your, your, your people wake up and I need this Tim Ferriss. I, I need that. Uh, when, 
meeting when I met Oprah Winfrey, there was an she was an incredible light, just like when I see you, it's an incredible light coming from you. But also too, she felt there was an incredible responsibility because there would be times where she would be exhausted from literally carrying the 70 million downloads, you know, in a sense, metaphorical for her. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like, whoa, is I didn't know that this was going to happen. So I need two yep. parts of this. I need one, how you became that. What's what's the ingredient? And then two, now that you're here, do you feel a certain different responsibility? So part one, how it happened would be, I think, first thinking of content in the way that I described. So trying to hit 10% of the people I can reach and have them love something as opposed to <laughs> as opposed to uh, trying to please everyone all the time. And then I would say the evergreen focus. Right. Uh, the piece that I didn't discuss yet that I think is important is everyone goes after the traffic leaders. And what I mean that by that is that it could apply to magazines, it could apply to TV. They'd say, who has the greatest number of viewers, right. followers, et cetera? How do I get to those influencers? Mm. And that's the most crowded channel and it's going to be the most difficult because those are people who are in the limelight at the peak. They're the hardest to contact. What I did in the very beginning, which I think led to the tipping point for the four hour work week in part is that I decided to go after the thought leaders that the traffic leaders paid attention to. Wow. So if you look at the people who, for instance, and this is true on, this could be true on YouTube. It could be true on at the time, you know, this was 19, I'm sorry, 2007. So blogs, I was right. looking at blog roles and so on. I identified the thought leaders. People who were very, very smart, but weren't, they weren't uh, compulsive self promoters. Wow. They didn't care about a large audience, but their audience was comprised of these people who had millions and tens of millions of readers. Mm. So I would do things with them. Wow. And, wow. and those, and, and the domino effect led to over time, a, a very, very large uh, broadcast capability and right. a very large following. The, um, in terms of the responsibility, uh, I absolutely feel that, you know, with great audience comes great leverage uh, and uh, great influence to, to a great degree and great responsibility. Right. And for that reason, for instance, in the four hour body, there was a chapter on breath holding, right. uh, which, which was done with, with David Blaine, I mentioned, and I took it out of the book. Because even though I had all these warnings, the audience was large enough that there were people who weren't paying attention to the warnings. And if you wow. try to do breath holding in water, you can kill yourself with a shallow water mm. black belt. And so I wasn't prepared at that time to accept, accept that. breaking a few eggs to make the omelet. I right, wasn't right. prepared to have metaphorical blood on my hands. Right, with, right, right. And I decided that the, the benefits of having it in the world were not greater than right. the risks and liabilities. Right. So I took it out. And... Um, I do have to be careful in a sense because if I say something in a really offhand way, people could take it very literally. And yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask you now. Now that, I mean, man, you look, I've my life changed in the fact of like people come up to me. It 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 would blow your mind. He'll tell you, it will blow your mind of people that come up and say, "It's someone you've been blessed by him." <laughs> How was he? Were you moved? <laughs> Did you touch the hem of his garment? <laughs> I mean, it's really on some like incredible admiration. So 
with this incredible uh, minefield of every single thing that you say, and then the way the nature of the beast of America, of humans, we want to build them up. We say one thing, and we want to rip the cords out of his podcast. How does that? How does that work now? Or do or do you have an do you have the ability to go somewhere, do whatever you feel like, and no one you know bothers you, and you know? Well, I think there there are a few things that I try to consider to keep myself sane and also keep my head from getting too big. The first is I always assume I'm 14 minutes into my 15 minutes of fame. Wow. I just always try to assume that. Could you tell that to some of these other <laughs> people? I could just name a few right now walking around with bodyguards. Yeah, okay. I just assume it's, it's never going to last forever. It, of yeah. course it's not. Yeah. So it's yeah. there's an expiration date on it and uh, that's helpful, I think, number one. Well, it's very helpful for savoring the experience and not constantly looking forward to bigger and bigger plans. Right. Although that's a component, I think of good strategy. Right. The, uh, the, the second is I will very deliberately force myself and I will schedule this in advance to take time off the grid. Right. So for instance, you know, I'm going to take this July, I'm basically orchestrating, putting systems in place right now, recording things in advance so that I can go off the grid for four weeks. Oh, nice. I'm gone. And I did that before in, in Indonesia, no calendar, no phone, Oh. No internet, no email for for four weeks, and oh. it's like taking a it's like taking a six to twelve month vacation oh. when you come back. That feels good, you know. You're just like, oh my god, I didn't realize like every notification, every email, every ping, every noise. It's just like having Chinese water torture all day, and then wow. and then then you turn it off, and you're like, I didn't even realize I was going through Chinese water torture. Wow. It's wow. an incredible relief, and it helps you with that deep work I was talking about. Helps me at least. Wow. So. Uh, so yes, I do very deliberately engineer my life in such a way that I can take time outside of the machine wow. because I'm not good at, I'm not good at juggling all the pieces when I'm surrounded with that noise. Right. I, I need time out. It's Tim Ferriss. It's, it's, this is simultaneously on his podcast and Foxhole Radio Series 96. We're going to take a break. And as, as you as you've noticed, we are getting nourished. We're getting fed. We're going to come back and wrap up with Tim, whatever he wants to give us uh, to let us know how to move forward, how to get your own, how to get your life together, man. And yes, I have touched the hem of his garment. We back in a moment. That was an Argentinian track. What was the name of that? Tim? That was Federico Aubele track yeah. Esta Noche. Esta Noche. That's amazing. He is from Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires. Now, you've been to these places. I have. I got, uh, when I did my walkabout to try to figure out my life in 2004, yeah. I got uh, got to Panama, and a friend yeah. of mine said, you should go to Argentina because you can live like a king for pennies on the dollar. Really? Then the most beautiful women, most delicious steak and wine Ooh. on the planet. And I was like, all right, I'll check wow, it out. Wow, I must go. It was Let's supposed book to, the trip. It was supposed to be a four-week trip, and I was there for nine months. Really? I was. No, wait a minute. Wait, hold on. Wait a minute. Come on, Tim. Now, you went there for a week, yeah. and you ended up nine months. What was it? Was it a love? Of, what was going on? I was. Uh, I got bitten by the bug that was tango, and I had deliberately beforehand said I was not going to practice tango because the I, the only version of tango I'd seen was like Al Pacino and Son of a Woman yeah. or Arnold Schwarzenegger and True Lies. I was like, I don't want to do that. That's not yeah. for me. Yeah. And uh, 
ended up just becoming obsessed with it. And I went oh. went to the world championship six months later. Are you serious? The semifinalist. Yeah. What is going on, Tim? Break that <laughs> down to us now. We were talking about podcasts, but all of a sudden you're the tango champion in, in Argentina. The white man goes to Argentina and yeah. and shuts it down. Well, so you go from <laughs> J- Japan. You 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 get a chance to take a bath with grandma first. <laughs> you move up the bath food chain. Yeah. Then you step into Argentine, a little wine, a little steak, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I'm dancing six to eight hours a day. Yeah, it was How uh, incredible. Is it? It was an amazing experience, and I had a, a fantastic dance partner. But the it, it it's all related to what we've been talking about. So the yeah. same way that I've looked at the testing of assumptions, the yeah. asking questions, so the things that I learned. In Japan, just like some of the things yeah. your grandmother armed yeah, you with exactly. that all added up later. Yeah. This ability to test assumptions. I remember in Argentina, I became infatuated with tango. And uh, I started asking myself, what are the rules that everyone says I should do? Yeah. What if I did the opposite? Wow. So they say you should learn how to lead. I said, what if I learn the female part first? That's a weird step. Wow. So I learned the follow first wow. from a world-class female teacher. Then uh, I looked at competition footage and what people were teaching. And I said, all right, what's actually winning the championships and what are they teaching and where are the gaps? What are the things that are winning championships, like long steps, certain types of pivots that aren't being taught. If I learn those, I will have an unfair advantage. So let me find the teachers who specialize in those. So Tim, this is what I got to ask. Where does that come from? Where does that type of thinking, I think for, for listeners who are listening on both your podcast and on the rate and on, on my radio show, where does that is that a blessed thing did you learn how to do that i need two parts of this one is that a blessing and two what is a podcast i think it's i think it's uh, both something i'm it is a blessing in the sense that i've always liked asking questions are you a spiritual person or is there any i i, I would consider myself i mean I, I grapple with that word a little bit i i'm not religious right. i wouldn't consider myself religious right. Right. Uh, but i've had a lot of experiences in the last few years that would lead me to believe there are some there's, there's mo- something out there. There's something out there. Ah, we, what that, do you think it is? That we have it all, oh boy. This do, you is, th- do you think we, we get we, to we, heaven and it's just like a gang of uh, uh, bathtubs that we can <laughs> bathe in and it's, it's Argentinian women? and Because I used to think that heaven was going to be like just my best looking girl just in everything I see. Right. Like everything I saw was my was was the epitome of what I thought beauty was. Yeah. And then my favorite food, which was Sonic Burger. So I get to heaven. It's just Sonic Burger. Hot and women just and Sonic one, Burger. Just the woman I dig. And you'd be surprised. You know, it's just like I'm just up there eating Sonic Burger. I've got my wings, got ketchup on and all kinds of crazy things. <laughs> but what do you, for, for a person who says, I'm not necessarily spiritual. Mm-hmm. I get that. But there's a lot of things that, that one would say in looking at you is spiritual. Mm-hmm. When you see the, the following and what you do to a person's psyche, what you do to a person's heart and mind is a spiritual thing. So what do you think is out there? Without getting too deep. We don't have yeah, to get too yeah, deep. We yeah, could, we could get into crazy town yeah. pretty quickly. But uh, I have... So I've had some very profound experiences. Uh, I'll just, you know what? I'll just go out there. So I've had some very unusual experiences, primarily related to use of psychedelics. Wow. That in group environments, uh, with proper supervision that, and this is part of the reason that I'm actually helping to finance studies at Johns Hopkins and most likely UCSF and a couple of research institutions looking at medical applications of these things that have led me to believe that uh, putting putting death aside and what happens after death, if anything, right. like maybe it's lights out and we're warm food, or right. maybe there's more. Right. But I think right now there are potentially well, there are a few things. We could be living in a virtual reality. 
Mm. Uh, I think there's a there's a there's a non-trivial chance that, uh, possibility that that's the case. And mm. second is that uh, maybe that's not a bad thing. Third, I think there are sort of parallel existences, mm. and uh, you might call them universes. The bizarro of it all. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. So, so I do think that it's possible, and then this will probably be explained by the scientific method or through experiments at some point, but right now I can't explain a lot of what, right. what I've seen and experienced firsthand with some of these, uh, these plant medicines. So that, that has called into question. I love how he calls it plant medicine. Plant medicine. It's called it. It's Elijah called, had just, has just experienced some plant medicine yeah. as he's walked in. You can tell, <laughs> the way he, you can tell the way he's chewing that gum. There was some plant medicines going on on the one one and uh, pretty soon he'll disappear. <laughs> Uh, in, a, in a few minutes and experience some more plant medicines and come back with a big smile on his face and the answers to it all. And so, so, but the, the, so the, I've always asked questions, but the writing and the meeting of mentors like Buxton has taught me how to ask better questions. And so I am constantly in search of better questions because people think they need the answers. They don't need the answers. You need the right questions. And the podcast for me, so the the Tim Ferriss show was an opportunity to take a break from writing right. and to get better at asking questions. Wow. Because if you get if you think about if you think about what thinking is, it's a little meta, but thinking, if you if you reflect on your internal dialogue, is asking and answering questions in your own head. Wow. So if you get better at asking other people questions, you get better at asking yourself questions. Wow. And that improves everything. So the the Tim Ferriss show is really an opportunity for me to try to deconstruct world-class performers like yourself, wow. uh, like General Stanley McChrystal, wow. like chess prodigy Josh Waitzkin, wow. uh, Laird Hamilton, you know, undisputed yeah. king of yeah. big wave surfing, because I want to try to find the commonalities. What yeah. do these people have in common? So 80, at least 80% of them have a daily meditation practice, for instance, uh, just as one example. And what are the differences? Right. So if I find somebody who's a morning person, wakes up at five to write, and then I I meet someone who writes from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m., mm. I want to talk about that and why that's different. Right. And it's been an opportunity for me to hopefully, you know, I have these conversations that are so fun, I mean, with people like yourself yeah, and, yeah. and others, and I just thought for years, I'm like, God, it'd be so much fun and useful to share this with my right. fans. Wow. But there was never a recorder around. Wow. And uh, so wow. I started the podcast. And the side gig turned into more than a side gig. Man, when I tell you, it's amazing. So here's the question that everybody's asking now. What does Tim Ferriss do? What does Tim Ferriss do in the morning? What does Tim Ferriss do? <laughs> what does Tim, what does the guru, see, this is the thing. Like, like, like the gurus and the people that, that have this, I call it the blessing. I call it the, you know, because I'm a spiritual person, you know, like, like my daughter tell you, you know, she knows the books of the Bible and everything like that. But, but. When you see someone who has that shine, that un, that unexplicable way to be, you're saying something that anyone could else could say, but the way you're saying it, the way you're delivering it, and it, and it works. So what do you do? How or, or do you listen to all of these things and sort of enhance your own uh, routine? What do you do when you wake up in the morning? You wake up and say, man, I'm Tim Ferriss, bad <laughs> motherfucker. Uh, sometimes I wake up and I just want to pull the sheets over my head and stay in bed. Stay in I think bed. we all have those mornings. Yeah, cool. But uh, generally, yes, I do borrow from everybody. Yeah. And my routine right now is I wake up, I tend to wake up on the late side because I go to bed late. Yeah. So I'll wake up, let's just say nine o'clock be on the later side for me. But um, if I'm on deadline, I'll write until five in the morning. Wow. I'll wake up in the wow. afternoon. Right now, I'll wake up, I will go upstairs, I will have 
supplements that are better absorbed on an empty stomach. I will then feed my dog, sit down, meditate for 20 minutes. Wow. So that's, that's transcendental, transcendental meditation, but I also could use Vipassana or anything else. There are many different ways to go about it. Then I will, at, the, at this moment, have specific type of tea. I usually have pu air tea, which is a Chinese tea, mm -hmm. with turmeric and ginger, plus something called MCT oil, which yeah. helps your brain quite a bit because it gives you something you convert into ketones. Then I do acro yoga practice. So I have. What is that? So acro yoga is kind of like a Cirque du Soleil strength performance, typically with a man and a woman. It's actually very similar to tango, yeah. but it's gymnastics. So I'd be supporting a woman on my feet or one foot and my hands, and they'd be doing cartwheels and forward spins and headstands and shoulder stands and handstands on my hands. It's extremely fun and very good physical training. This is every day? I, do three, time, I do three times a week. So, so I, you spin a girl on your feet? Three times a week just, for an hour and, and a half at a time. That's what I need to do. I need to <laughs> find me a little lightweight babe to just... Uh, yeah. Flip her up around. Yeah. You want to start with what they would call a tiny? That's a little one. Oh, this is amazing. And, and a flyer. right now for my radio people, uh, Ricardo is showing me what this is. This is amazing. What is it called now? Acro Yoga. So you guys out there listening, get go to acroyoga.com. Acro Yoga. Just just, if you just search Acro Yoga, there's a guy named Jason Niemer who's the co-founder N E M E R. And now what does this? Now what does this do? But does that give you some sort of interaction with with female energy, or is it? It does. Is it? it does quite a few things for me. So what what I realized for myself is that in uh, in a culture such as our own in the U.S., where we have very puritanical inclinations and baggage, there's not a lot of physical touch. It's very forbidden. And you have to be very, very careful uh, about physical touch. But we are higher primates. We mm. need physical contact. It, right. is, it is part of our hardwiring DNA. And acroyoga is a fantastic way to have sensual contact that is not necessarily sexual, right. if that makes sense. Right. And that gives you, I think, a charge and a therapy that is extremely valuable and hard to produce any other way. Uh, wow. It's also very playful, and I think it's easy, for me at least, to take life too seriously or take myself too seriously. Right. And when you're doing acro yoga, half the time you're making mistakes and falling on each other, wow. flipping over. It's just playful. It's like going back to the playground. And I think as adults, it's very easy to think that serious is, meaning being serious, not the radio, <laughs> is the the tone you have to carry to do big things. Whereas right. I think that if you're always serious... You'll be too, you will end up being too exhausted right. to complete the truly important work. Right. So you have to use play right. as a way to rest right. and reset. Now, do, do, I use, do I use the girl I'm dating sure. for yep. this? Or do I just go? You can do both. Could I tell my girl, hey, I got to, <laughs> I'm going to be in the room flipping this girl upside down. I'll be out in about an hour. You, you could try that. Depends on the girlfriend. I'll go ahead. Uh, but the, uh, you are in the epicenter right here. The yeah. best acro yoga, or most of the best acro yoga instructors on the planet are near Venice and Santa Monica. Wow! So you're very, you're right in the hotbed for this. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get into that. Uh, and then what else? And what else? How do you, how do you just like? You love to tango. You love to travel. But, but what make, what makes you eager? Like I can't wait for that that day. What's that that makes you? Because we got our jobs. We do what I think. You're, you're, you're leading the people, but. What makes you go like I look forward? I look forward to cheat day. So cheat yeah. day, <laughs> it's the cheat day, and uh, yeah, 
she's she's seen cheat day. So what's the cheat day? So so, so cheat day. So I follow a diet that was in the four hour body. It's yeah. it's called the slow carb diet, and it's yeah. it's uh, it's very manageable. You can go out to eat with people; they won't even notice you're on a on a restrictive diet, and it really helps with losing fat loss very quickly oh. and building muscle. So there have been many many cases. I mean, dozens now. People have lost 100, 150, 200 yeah. pounds, but it's also very effective for just staying lean and the component that I think is is uh, most important perhaps or, or one of the more crucial is the concept of cheat day and that means you have six days of compliance and then you have one day when you can do whatever you want oh, and I generally recommend that's a Saturday and mm. a lot of fans have nicknamed that fatter day. fatter day and they'll send me they'll send me photos of all the uh, crap they're eating I'm gonna do this oh ice cream pizza I mean like uh. like yesterday effectively was my cheat day. I was fasting for two days and I was like, you know what? This doesn't feel right. And I was about, it, 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 the, so the clock struck midnight and I was like, okay, it's cheat day. And I just demolished the entire hotel tray of goodies. Oh, and it was man. glorious. Oh, yeah. Macadamia nuts exactly. covered in chocolate, oh, gummy bears, yes. oh. candied ginger. And oh. I didn't feel any guilt because that's the purpose of cheat days. That's, to, that's like the psychological release valve so that you make yourself so sick <laughs> You're like, I cannot wait to get back to my lentils and beans and chicken because yeah, right, right. I feel terrible. Wow. And then you can stick with it. And that's how people lose 100, 200 pounds. Well, that's fantastic. Last but not least, for our listeners, we've talked about so many different things. Uh, Long Island, uh, lung collapse, um, uh, heat stroke vulnerable, um, college uh doing it your own way just give us a wrap up of 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 and then i know it's sort of old school but just it's sort of telling them taking that person from where they are right now because a lot of people when they listen in they got all kinds of people say fox man i was having a bad day da, 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 da. just give them a little something man just a little something from you know to to, to get them going i would say that you you do big things by starting with the small things. Right. And the way that I view my life, people ask me like, what's your five-year plan, 10-year yeah. plan? I don't have one. Wow. Because a reliable five, 10-year plan is gonna be shooting below your capability. Wow. I mean, I think that if you have a really, if you build a really tremendous life for yourself, in retrospect, it's gonna look very accidental yeah. in many respects. And to that end, I try to view my life as two-week experiments. Right. And. Uh, by doing that, I'm going to try X for two weeks. It's not a permanent decision. You can do anything for two weeks. Yeah. I'm going to try the slow carb diet for two weeks. I'm going to try fill in the blank, you know, meditating for two weeks. Yeah. I'm going to try whatever it might be. And you start to develop a, a, a confidence in your ability to act and change your reality for you and your family right. or those you care about. Uh, and people will often ask me like, how do I, how do I get confidence? How do I get confidence? Because then I want to go out and do things. I'm like, no, no, you got it reversed. Mm. You have to do things small, a little bit bigger, medium sized and large to build that confidence. So like the only cure for lack of confidence is acting. And the way that I find easiest is to treat your life as a series of two week experiments. And, uh, it's uh, whatever your weakness is, whatever your excuse might be. And mm. we've, all, we've all had excuses. I've had yeah. excuses. And it's like whether it's I'm too old, I'm too young, yeah. I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm too this, I'm too that, whatever it is. Yeah. There is someone who has felt that exact same way, said the same thing to themselves, and overcome it. Wow. 
And you can find those people. So go out and search for them. Wow. And one of the questions I ask experts all the time is like, if I'm looking at someone who's say an ultra endurance runner and I'll ask them like, who is good at this? Who shouldn't be right? Like I know that you have the people who are built like spiders who are sort of blessed with a certain uh, physique that makes it easier for them to do this. But I want to know like, where's the 250 pound guy who runs 50, hundred mile races? Like, is there such a person? And they'll be like, oh yeah, there is this one guy. I'll be like, okay, I want to study him. Wow, man. And, it's uh, very superhero. It's very comic book superhero it is. the way you think. It is. That and one, that soul. It that- is. And, but it's a toolkit. And I do write about uh, the, this toolkit a lot in The 4-Hour Chef, the last book, which is kind of a book on accelerated learning disguised as a cookbook. But it is a toolkit that anyone can use. If you have Google and you speak English, like you are in the 1%. Like I, wow. I have to tell you, like you have at your fingertips everything. Wow. And you just have to ask the right questions. Wow. That's it. Fox Soul Radio Series 96. Hey, listen, everybody out there listening, you got two weeks. I'll see you in two weeks and you better have it done. We are with the one, the only. I, I joke, I kid when I first came on and said Oprah Winfrey was a white man. But let me tell you something, Tim. You're your own man. Thank and, you. And, and for, for what you did, what you're doing for everybody, for those 70 million downloads and for those people that are in the street that you don't even get a chance to see like i see uh they counting on you brother man keep doing your thing and keep giving it to us it's jamie fox with tim ferris fox on radio series 96 let me tell you something when i die heaven better be off the chain because i'm having a ball right now serious hey xm 96 we going out of here tim ferris i've touched the hem of the garment Hey guys, this is Tim again. Just a few more things before you take off. Number one, this is Five Bullet Friday. Do you want to get a short email from me? Would you enjoy getting a short email from me every Friday that provides a little morsel of fun before the weekend? And Five Bullet Friday is a very short email where I share the coolest things I've found or that I've been pondering over the week. That could include favorite new albums that I've discovered. It could include gizmos and gadgets and all sorts of weird shit that I've somehow dug up in the uh, the world of the esoteric as I do. It could include favorite articles that I've read and that I've shared with my close friends, for instance. And it's very short. It's just a little tiny bite of goodness before you head off for the weekend. So if you want to receive that, check it out. Just go to fourhourworkweek.com. That's fourhourworkweek.com all spelled out and just drop in your email and you will get the very next one. And if you sign up, I hope you enjoy it.